0: Hey friends, M. Faring here. I'm so glad you're joining me as we journey through the pages of God's Word, looking for the big picture story, digging deep in study, and discovering how all of this applies to our lives. Most importantly, I hope you are able to see how Jesus is found throughout it all, plus learn more about God's character and love for us along the way. Let's open our Bibles together, one chapter at a time. Okay, friends, let's begin. Hey friends, welcome back to Open Our Bibles Together with M. Faring. I'm so glad you're joining us for our continuing study in the book of Exodus. Before we move much further today though, can I just stop and share with you something that I have been praying over each one of you listeners for a while now. My hope, my prayer is that you're beginning to feel the difference when you read these stories, these scriptures, and the way that they were written to be read. By that I mean read in chronological order so that you can connect what came before in our studies and be pointed to what is coming right after. It's extremely valuable to read God's unfolding story in the order it was meant to be read, for so very many reasons. But today, let's just camp on this thought. Our study times together, building one on top of the other in the storyline, is so essential, and I hope that you are starting to recognize threads or connections of one story, person, or theme to another as we are moving along. So, so good. With that in mind, How about we just pick up where we left off in the last episode and begin reading Exodus chapter 7 from the New Living Translation of the Bible. It begins, Aaron's staff becomes a serpent. Then the Lord said to Moses, pay close attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Tell Aaron everything I command you and Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel leave his country. But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so I will bring down my fist on Egypt. Then I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. When I raise a powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them, Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 when they made their demands to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh will demand, show me a miracle. When he does this, say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down in front of Pharaoh, and it will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did what the Lord had commanded them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh called in his own wise men and sorcerers, and these Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. They threw down their staffs, which also became serpents. But then Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Pharaoh's heart, however, remained hard. He refused to listen, just as the Lord had predicted. A Plague of Blood Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn and he still refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes down to the river. Stand on the bank of the Nile and meet him there. Be sure to take along the staff that turned into a snake. Then announced to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, Let my people go, so they can worship me in the wilderness. Until now you have refused to listen to him, so this is what the Lord says, I will show you that I am the Lord. Look, I will strike the water of the Nile with this staff in my hand, and the river will turn to blood. The fish in it will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and raise your hand over the waters of Egypt, all its rivers, canals, ponds, and all the reservoirs. Turn all the water to blood. Everywhere in Egypt the water will turn to blood, even the water stored in wooden bowls and stone pots. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. As Pharaoh and all the other officials watched, Aaron raised his staff and struck the water of the Nile. Suddenly, the whole river turned to blood. The fish in the river died, and the water became so foul that the Egyptians couldn't drink it. There was blood everywhere throughout the land of Egypt. But again, the magicians of Egypt used their magic, and they too turned water into blood. So Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had predicted. Pharaoh returned to his palace and put the whole thing out of his mind. Then all the Egyptians dug along the riverbank to find drinking water, for they couldn't drink water from the Nile. Seven days passed from the time the Lord struck the Nile. Phew, that is a lot to process in just a few verses, am I right? Staves turning to snakes, one snake staff eating the others, water turned to blood, dead fish, foul stench, frantic digging along the riverbank of the Nile for drinking water. Oh my. And did you notice just how many times already God's staff in the hands of Moses and Aaron was mentioned? I hope all those instances of the staff in these verses reminded you of our conversations about this in the last episode of OOBT. If not, be sure to listen in because it is so important and truthfully, that staff will also continue to be center stage in the chapters to come in Exodus. Incredible. Okay, so before we get much further in our studies of chapter seven, I'm gonna share with you this perspective I came across about Moses and Aaron that I just love from She Reads Truths Exodus Study Devotional titled The Plagues Begin. It's the early 90s, and I'm sitting in the front row staring at the Sunday school felt board. Does anyone remember those? I'm not sure if other kids can see around my puffy pigtails, but at that moment, I don't really care. The teacher booms out in her best Moses voice, let my people go, and all of us kids playing the part of Pharaoh shout, no! At the time, I thought of Moses and Aaron as these powerful guys with booming voices and a magical stick, who eventually wear Pharaoh down, so he sets the Israelites free. But today, as I meditate on our reading in Exodus 7, I'm able to get a little clearer on the details. It turns out Moses and Aaron were pretty regular guys. They came from a long line of people you've probably never heard of, as found in Exodus chapter 6, verses 14 through 25. Nothing about them or their family would hint at God assigning them to take on this massive task, not to mention the fact that these guys were not young birds, as found in Exodus chapter 7, verse 7. On the contrary, they were already in their 80s when God told Moses to deliver the Israelites. And don't get me started on Moses. The booming voice from Sunday school? Probably not biblically accurate. In fact, Moses told God, Since I am such a poor speaker, how will Pharaoh listen to me? Exodus 6.30 Moses struggled with his own weakness. He didn't believe God could use him because he was a terrible speaker. Thus, why God allowed Aaron to be part of the plan. They knew their mission wouldn't be easy and over and over Pharaoh's heart would be hardened. But the fact that the task seemed impossible made it clear that only God could accomplish it. In Exodus 7, we see God give Aaron and Moses the command of what to say, Let my people go. And so begins a story we've come to know so well. Once the plagues begin, Moses and Aaron are simply conduits of God moving on behalf of his people. The Israelites have been enslaved and without hope for so long. Now, God has chosen two unlikely men to lead them to freedom. Today's reading reminds us that God doesn't need superheroes or perfect people to carry out his will. In fact, he has often chosen the weak, the foolish, the rejected, and the unpopular to accomplish his purposes. He just wants us to be willing to trust and follow him. It's those of us who are weak that need a mighty hand, so trust him today, follow his commands, and see how he can use you. Gosh, I sure hope you love that viewpoint as much as I do. That reminder, once the plagues begin, Moses and Aaron are simply conduits of God moving on behalf of his people. The Israelites have been enslaved and without hope for so long. Now God has chosen two unlikely men to lead them to freedom. Choosing the unlikely, I feel every word of that, my friends. How about you? Do you feel that too? So anyway, today we open this chapter with God renewing his commands to Moses and Aaron and even reminding them once again that Pharaoh is not going to listen to them. And then we see them head back to Pharaoh to this time perform their first sign as commanded by God. Verse 5's How Do I Get Through This Study, Day 12, has this to say about the snake signs. Today's reading sets the stage for the sparring between the Lord and Pharaoh. At first glance, it may appear that Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing as Moses and Aaron, but a closer look at Exodus chapter 7, verses 10 and 11 reveals some key differences. In Exodus seven ten, it reads, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. And then in verse 11, it reads, Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. So here we see that God's power differs from Pharaoh's power, and that God's is authentic, but Pharaoh's uses trickery, illusion, and even magic. Actually, the word translated secret arts can also be translated trickery. Moses and Aaron didn't summon power or employ trickery when Aaron's staff became a serpent. Instead, they simply obeyed God's command. The result of this initial encounter foretells the final result of Pharaoh's battle with God. The word used to describe how Aaron's snake swallowed the other staffs is used only twice in Scripture, here in Exodus 7.12 and again in Exodus 15, to describe how the Red Sea swallowed the Egyptian army when it pursued... The rescued Israel. This first demonstration of God's sovereignty and power, and Pharaoh's resistance, set in motion the ten plagues that follow. John Calvin observes It was indeed possible for God to overwhelm him, Pharaoh, at once by a single nod, so that he should even fall down dead at the very sight of Moses. But he wished to show that against all the strivings and devices of Satan, against the madness of the ungodly, and all worldly hindrances, his hand must always prevail and to leave us no room to doubt, but that whatever we see opposing us will at length be overcome by him. Oh friends, that last portion of the ending line there, to leave us no room to doubt, but that what we see opposing us will at length be overcome by him. I love how this first example of God's power before Pharaoh encourages us that God will overcome and rescue is on the way for us, just as it was for the Israelites, in God's timing. Once again, as we've said before about his timing, we can't force it, but we also can't stop it. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Now, as a bit of a teaser about what is to come here, listen into to First Five's Exodus study in the More Moments About Exodus 7 section, which begins. The lines were drawn and the battle began. It would be a battle of fierce intensity. There would be ten plagues to hit Egypt. The word plague means to strike a blow. The plagues fell on Egypt because Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. Here is what we need to remember. This wasn't a battle against an individual, or against a set of circumstances, or against injustice or oppression. It wasn't even a battle between God and Pharaoh. Scripture tells us our battles are not against flesh and blood, but they are against the dark spiritual forces of evil. Ephesians 6.12 The plagues were God's declaration of war against the false gods of Egypt. God would execute judgment on all of the false gods of Egypt. Whatever you make your God, the true God will destroy. The Egyptians worshipped over 80 major gods and goddesses. The first two plagues were against the God of the Nile. The next four were against the land gods. The last four were against the gods of the sky, including the death of Pharaoh's firstborn, who was considered to be the incarnation of the sun god Ra. Moving back to Exodus chapter 7, in 1st 5's Exodus study, in a section titled Moses' Obedience and Pharaoh's Stubbornness, it reads. Pharaoh was a stubborn man, and God, in his sovereignty, had full knowledge of it. He knew all along Pharaoh was not going to listen to his command. He even told Moses in advance Pharaoh wasn't going to listen. But because God always extends mercy before he executes judgment, he sent Moses and Aaron back to Pharaoh to tell him again to let God's people go. It took great courage for Moses and Aaron to confront the most powerful man on the planet, yet again, but their hearts were obedient to the Lord. So they did just as the Lord commanded and went back to see Pharaoh a second time. Even after Pharaoh saw Aaron's staff swallow up the staffs belonging to the best magicians in Egypt, he still would not admit that God's power was superior. Pharaoh remained unmoved in his position and stubbornly refused to heed God's command. He would not budge. The more Pharaoh suppressed the knowledge of God and refused the will of God, the harder his heart became. Romans chapter 1, verses 18-21 through 21. When God speaks, people either submit their hearts and obey, or they refuse to listen and harden their hearts. Moses and Aaron heard God and obeyed. Even when they had a difficult assignment, they obeyed. Every time they obeyed, they personally witnessed a mighty display of God's power. Sure, God could have displayed His power without Moses and Aaron, but He instructed them to participate, and they obeyed. For months, God in His mercy sent Moses and Aaron back to warn Pharaoh and give him an opportunity to repent but Pharaoh repeatedly chose to resist God's instructions. His stubborn refusal to release God's people brought disaster on Egypt. As we read the next few chapters of Exodus, we will discover the longer Pharaoh refused to obey God, the more intense God's judgment became. There is a stark contrast between Moses' obedience and Pharaoh's obstinance in this chapter. Are you more like Moses and Aaron, or are you more like Pharaoh? Is your heart tender toward the Lord and his commands? Is there some area where he is calling you to obedience? What are you stubbornly refusing to let go of in your life? The writer of Hebrews warns us that if we hear God speaking, we should not harden our heart in rebellion. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 8. Why? Like Pharaoh, our arrogance will only invite disaster into our lives. Goodness gracious friends, this idea of hardened hearts is a tricky one to grasp for sure, so please know that I will be pulling from several resources in this, and possibly in the next episode even, as we try to better understand just what we see happening in Pharaoh's heart. Oh my, it is definitely complicated but well worth our study efforts to try to grasp a bit more fully, especially as it relates to the upcoming plagues. Speaking of plagues, just to be sure we're on the same page from the beginning here, rescuing the Hebrew people from slavery by the Egyptians was not the main purpose of the plagues. Because let's be honest here, if that had been the case, one plague would have been sufficient. But the real purpose of the plagues was to communicate to Israel, to Egypt, and to the surrounding nations even, just who God really is. So, now that the plagues have started, as we move on to read through chapters 8 and 9, please be sure to pay close attention to see the development and hear the repetition of certain phrases and actions throughout. Exodus chapter 8 begins, A Plague of Frogs Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back to Pharaoh and announce to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go, so they can worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs across your entire land. The Nile River will swarm with frogs. They will come up out of the river and into your palace, even into your bedroom and onto your bed. They will enter the houses of your officials and your people. They will even jump into your ovens and your kneading bowls. Frogs will jump on you, your people, and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, "'Raise the staff in your hand over all the rivers, canals, and ponds of Egypt, "'and bring up frogs over all the land.' "'So Aaron raised his hand over the waters of Egypt, "'and the frogs came up and covered the whole land.' "'But the magicians were able to do the same thing with their magic. "'They too caused frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. "'Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged, "'Plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. "'I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord.' "'You set the time,' Moses replied.' Tell me when you want me to pray for you, your officials, and your people. Then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs. They will remain only in the Nile River. Do it tomorrow, Pharaoh said. All right, Moses replied. It will be as you have said. Then you will know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you in your houses, your officials, and your people. They will remain only in the Nile River. So Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh's palace, and Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had inflicted on Pharaoh. And the Lord did just what Moses had predicted. The frogs in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields all died. The Egyptians piled them up in great heaps, and a terrible stench filled the land. But when Pharaoh saw the relief had come, he became stubborn. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had predicted. A Plague of Gnats So the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Raise your staff and strike the ground. The dust will turn into swarms of gnats throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. When Aaron raised his hand and struck the ground with his staff, gnats infected the entire land, covering the Egyptians and their animals. All the dust in the land of Egypt turned into gnats. Pharaoh's magicians tried to do the same thing with their secret arts, but this time they failed. And the gnats covered everyone, people and animals alike. This is the finger of God, the magicians exclaimed to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He wouldn't listen to them, just as the Lord had predicted. A Plague of Flies Then the Lord told Moses, Get up early in the morning and stand in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river. Say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go, so they can worship me. If you refuse, then I will send swarms of flies on you, your officials, your people, and all the houses. The Egyptian homes will be filled with flies, and the ground will be covered with them. But this time I will spare the region of Goshen where my people live. No flies will be found there. Then you will know that I am the Lord and that I am present even in the heart of your land. I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will happen tomorrow. And the Lord did just as he had said. A thick swarm of flies filled Pharaoh's palace and the houses of his officials. The whole land of Egypt was thrown into chaos by the flies. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, All right, go ahead and offer sacrifices to your God, he said, but do it here in this land. But Moses replied, That wouldn't be right. The Egyptians detest the sacrifices that we offer to the Lord our God. Look, if we offer our sacrifices here, where the Egyptians can see us, they will stone us. We must take a three-day trip into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, just as he has commanded us. All right, go ahead, Pharaoh replied. I will let you go into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God, but don't go too far away. Now hurry and pray for me. Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the swarms of flies will disappear from you and your officials and all your people. But I am warning you, Pharaoh, don't lie to us again and refuse to let the people go, to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses left Pharaoh's palace and pleaded with the Lord to remove all the flies. And the Lord did as Moses asked and caused the swarms of flies to disappear from Pharaoh, his officials, and his people. Not a single fly remained. But Pharaoh again became stubborn and refused to let the people go. Oh, friends, so far we've seen Pharaoh repeatedly refusing to let the Israelites go, and with a hard heart, Dismissing the words of Aaron and Moses. And I don't know about you, but I can't read Exodus chapter 7 and now chapter 8 as well without cringing. A river of blood? Frogs, gnats, and flies just sound gross. These are just some of those passages that I tend to want to skim over without taking time to consider the scene. What it was like to witness the Egyptians frantically digging along the riverbank of the bloody Nile, trying to find drinking water, while Pharaoh's heart remained seemingly unaffected as he simply turned away from the Nile River and went back into the palace. Those piles of dead frogs that filled the land with stench. Then all the dust of the earth becoming gnats. And if that wasn't bad enough, then having thick swarms of flies throwing the whole land of Egypt into chaos. Now, I don't know about all of you, but just one pesky, annoying fly may have been known to cause my undoing at times. So can you even imagine thick swarms of them? Chaos for sure. So is your skin crawling yet? Mine is two. The first two plagues involved the Nile River and would have immediately gotten the attention of every Egyptian for a couple of reasons. First, Egypt's civilization depended on the waters of the Nile. And second, the Nile River was worshipped as a god in Egypt. Therefore, this attack on the Nile was an attack on the security and prosperity of the country, as well as an attack on Egypt's gods. The first plague turned the water in the Nile to blood. The fish died, the water became so foul it was undrinkable and Pharaoh just returned to his palace and put the whole thing out of his mind. The second plague brought frogs up out of the Nile. The New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible has this to say in a note for chapter 8, verse 3. Moses predicted that every house in Egypt would be infested with frogs. The poor of Egypt lived in small mud-brick houses of one or two rooms with palm-trunk roofs. The homes of the rich, however, were often two or three stories high, surrounded by landscaped gardens, and enclosed by a high wall. Servants lived and worked on the first floor while the family occupied the upper floors. Thus, if the frogs got into the royal bedrooms, they had infiltrated even the upper floors. No place in Egypt would be safe from them. Now remember, the Egyptians believed that their gods controlled the very things that God commanded in the plagues. During the first three plagues, the magicians of Egypt were somehow able to mimic what Moses and Aaron were doing. But during the plague of gnats, the magicians could not replicate the work of God. Without the retreat of his house and with the land now stinking like the Nile, Pharaoh pleaded with Moses to ask God to take away the frogs and promised to let the people go. However, his change of heart didn't last long. The third plague of gnats may seem out of place since it doesn't follow the same pattern as the other plagues. However, if it's nicely into the pattern of the plagues as a whole, the first nine plagues come in a series of three, with a last plague in every series including no forewarning, time of warning, or instruction formula. According to Exodus chapter 8, verse 18, after God turned the dust to gnats, the magicians were unable to replicate with their secret arts, and so they told Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. The New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible has this study note for 8:19. Some people think, if I could only see a miracle, I could believe in God. God gave Pharaoh just such an opportunity. When gnats infested Egypt, even the magicians agreed that this was God's work, the finger of God. But still Pharaoh refused to believe. He was stubborn, and stubbornness can blind a person to the truth. When you rid yourself of stubbornness, you may be surprised by abundant evidence of God's work in your life. Exodus 8 ends with the plague of the flies. The purpose of the plagues was to show Pharaoh that Yahweh was the one true God, and he would be reminded of this in the fourth plague. It is in this plague that we see the Lord emphasize that the Israelites are His chosen people, and unlike the Egyptians, they will be protected. How would this be done? The Lord promised that He would set apart the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived, so the flies would not overtake them or their land. Let us remember that the God who saw the Israelites through the plagues is the one true God who we serve today. We can know that He will continue to protect us, just as He protected the Israelites. And after the fourth plague of flies, we see in Exodus chapter 8, verse 24, the land is described as being thrown into chaos by the flies, or in the English Standard Version of the Bible, it says the whole land was ruined. The land went from stinky to ruined, and after the second plague, Pharaoh's magicians were no longer able to produce God's wonders. Yet instead of obeying God, Pharaoh tried to bargain with him. Verse 5's Exodus study has this to say about the plague of a hard heart. Blood frogs, gnats, flies. Pharaoh had witnessed four miraculous, devastating plagues on his land and his people. Next, God will kill their livestock and send plagues of boils and hail. The gnats and the flies were annoyances, but the blood in the Nile and the frogs covering the land were devastating and, in part, a judgment on the fake gods of Egypt. The Nile was worshipped as a life-giving deity. Frogs were viewed as symbols of fruitfulness and life. In fact, they were not to be killed. One of Egypt's chief gods, Osiris, was believed to live in livestock, yet this fake god could not save them. Egypt was a pagan nation. God was judging this country, their oppression of his people, and their rejection of him as the one true God, and their rebellion is not new. They had not lived as an unreached people group ignorant of the power of Yahweh. Remember that in Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh had been so impressed with Joseph's ability to interpret dreams that he acknowledged that the Spirit of God was on him, He credited God with enabling Joseph and saving Egypt. Now, some 400 years later, they have forgotten God's mercy and rejected his authority. Why is this so important? Well, today's key verse about Pharaoh's hardened heart is a difficult passage. But let's allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. Other passages reveal that Egypt and Pharaoh had rejected God. In fact, during previous plagues, Pharaoh had asked Moses for relief and promised to let the people go. But as Exodus chapter 8 verse 30 records, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go, once the plagues stopped. His heart was deceitful, selfish, manipulative, and wicked. He had rejected God's previous gracious protection for Egypt and forgotten the lessons of Egypt's historic famine. More recently, Pharaoh had seen with his own eyes the way Yahweh had protected his people, brought plagues on Egypt, and manipulated nature to his perfect will. Yet Pharaoh rejected God. You and I reject God too. In Psalm chapter 14, David laments that there is no one who does good. We all say in our hearts that there is no God. This is the worst plague, the plague of a hard heart. We want to be in control of our own lives. We resist surrender. Unless God intervenes, we are lost. When I read this passage, I don't wrestle so much with God hardening Pharaoh's heart. I wrestle with the shocking, worship-inducing, amazing grace that he softened mine. Don't be a rebel like Pharaoh, giving lip service to the power of God. Instead, respond in faith and surrender. Lay down the fake gods of control and independence. Acknowledge that he alone is God. Each plague has been an opportunity for Pharaoh to see God's might and power. Our God is gracious and holy. God is powerfully revealing himself to the people of Egypt, extending them the opportunity to repent and acknowledge that he is the one true God. God's grace precedes his judgment. Every time. Oh gosh, friends. I want to repeat one of those last few statements because I think it's so important for us to grasp as we navigate the issue of Pharaoh's increasingly hardened heart. It read, When I read this passage, I don't wrestle much with God-hardening Pharaoh's heart. I wrestle with the shocking, worship-inducing, amazing grace that God softened mine. Amazing grace for sure, but we also know this to be true. Dealing with hard-hearted people is hard and frustrating Though we continue to see Moses as a humble man, even he demonstrated frustration over Pharaoh's hard heart. God had warned Moses about the condition of Pharaoh's heart in verse 15, but despite Pharaoh's lying, cheating, and not keeping his word, we see mention in verses 29 and 30 of Moses praying for him. However, Pharaoh's heart remained hard. Even so, my tears, we know that God was at work. When Moses's and our own prayers don't seem to be bringing the answers we want, We must trust that God is still accomplishing his purposes. We see Moses wanted Pharaoh to have a softened heart, and so he pleaded with God to change Pharaoh's heart. But, as we will also see, God ultimately used Pharaoh to demonstrate his power as he will set his people free despite the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Just another reminder, when we don't understand the purposes of God in our suffering, we can trust the character, promises, and plan of our sovereign God. Hard but good, right? Okay. Exodus chapter 9 reads, A Plague Against Livestock. Go back to Pharaoh, the Lord commanded Moses. Tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says Let my people go, so they can worship me. If you continue to hold them and refuse to let them go, the hand of the Lord will strike all your livestock your horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats with a deadly plague. But the Lord will again make a distinction between the livestock of the Israelites and that of the Egyptians. Not a single one of Israel's animals will die. The Lord has already set the time for the plague to begin. He has declared that he will strike the land tomorrow. And the Lord did just as he had said. The next morning all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but the Israelites didn't lose a single animal. Pharaoh sent his officials to investigate, and they discovered that the Israelites had not lost a single animal. But even so, Pharaoh's heart remained stubborn, and he still refused to let the people go. A plague of festering boils. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take a handful of soot from a brick kiln, and have Moses toss it in the air while Pharaoh watches. The ashes will spread like fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, causing festering boils to break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from the brick kiln and went and stood before Pharaoh. As Pharaoh watched, Moses threw the soot in the air, and boils broke out on people and animals alike. Even the magicians were unable to stand before Moses because the boils had broken out on them and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and just as the Lord had predicted to Moses, Pharaoh refused to listen. A Plague of Hail Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so they can worship me. If you don't, I will send more plagues on you and your officials and your people. Then you will know that there was no one like me in all the earth." By now I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth, but I have spared you for a purpose, to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. But you still lorded over my people and refused to let them go, so tomorrow at this time I will send a hailstorm more devastating than any in all the history of Egypt. Quick, order your livestock and servants to come in from the fields to find shelter. Any person or animal left outside will die when the hail falls." Some of Pharaoh's officials were afraid because of what the Lord had said. They quickly brought their servants and livestock in from the fields. But those who paid no attention to the word of the Lord left theirs out in the open. Then the Lord said to Moses, Lift your hand toward the sky so hail may fall on the people, the livestock, and all the plants throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses lifted his staff toward the sky, and the Lord set thunder and hail and lightning flashes toward the earth. The Lord sent a tremendous hailstorm against all the land of Egypt. Never in all the history of Egypt had there been a hailstorm like that, with such devastating hail and continuous lightning. It left all of Egypt in ruins. The hail struck down everything in the open field, people, animals, and plants alike. Even the trees were destroyed. The only place without hail was the region of Goshen, where the people of Israel lived. Then Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he confessed. The Lord is the righteous one, and my people and I are wrong. Please beg the Lord to end this terrifying thunder and hail. We've had enough. I will let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. All right, Moses replied. As soon as I leave the city, I will lift my hands and pray to the Lord. Then the thunder and hail will stop, and you will know that the earth belongs to the Lord. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. All the flax and barley were ruined by the hail because the barley had formed heads and the flax was budding, but the wheat and the emmer wheat were spared because they had not yet sprouted from the ground. So Moses left Pharaoh's court and went out of the city. When he lifted his hands to the Lord, the thunder and hail stopped and the downpour ceased. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain, hail, and thunder had stopped, he and his officials sinned again, and Pharaoh again became stubborn. Because his heart was hard, Pharaoh refused to let the people leave, just as the Lord had predicted through Moses. This is the fifth time God sent Moses back to Pharaoh with the demand, Let my people go. By this time, don't you think that it was entirely possible that Moses may have been tired and discouraged? Maybe, but whether he was or wasn't, what we see is him continuing to obey. What a valuable reminder for us to not give up when we know what we are to do, as we will soon see, and as Moses discovered, our persistence is rewarded. Well, more on that to come, my oobt Day 14 of First 5's How Do I Get Through This Study reads, Exodus chapter 9 verse 3 records two things about the fifth plague that we have not read before this point. It reads, Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall in a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the fields, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. According to this verse, the hand of the Lord would fall, and it would be a severe or deadly plague. Before now, only the finger of God had been mentioned in the plagues. This plague, however, would bring the full force of God's hand against Pharaoh and the Egyptians, as it was the first plague that brought with it death. Exodus chapter 9 verses 14 through 16 summarizes the purposes of the entire Exodus story. Verses 14 and 16 both end with a phrase that begins with the words, So that. Let's read those phrases once again to recall what they said. So that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth, and so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. The sixth plague presents a point of intensification in the story. Douglas Stewart noted the prior plagues, troublesome as they were, were essentially preliminary and that now a series of developments that would really do damage to Egypt have begun, including actually taking human life. Exodus chapter 9, verses 20-21 through 21, details the actions of two different responses to God. One, those who believed and brought their servants and livestock in from the field. Verses two, those who paid no attention and left them all out in the open. According to Exodus 9, 17 and chapter 10, verse 3, even indicate that the root of why Pharaoh and some of the servants did not pay attention to the word of the Lord was because they refused to submit to God, to let his people go so that they could worship him. The New Living Translation Life Application Study Note for 9, verse 12 reads, God gave Pharaoh many opportunities to heed Moses' warnings. But finally God seemed to say, "'All right, Pharaoh, have it your way,' and Pharaoh's heart became permanently hardened. Did God intentionally harden Pharaoh's heart and overrule his free will? No, he simply confirmed that Pharaoh freely chose a life of resisting God. Similarly, after a lifetime of resisting God, you may find it impossible to turn to him. Don't wait until just the right time before turning to God. Do it now while you still have a chance." And in the New Living Translation Illustrated Study Bible, in a section entitled Hardened Hearts, it reads, Exodus repeatedly states that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. These statements can be troubling. Was Pharaoh forced to sin against God? Other factors need to be taken into account. One, the Lord knew ahead of time that Pharaoh would harden his heart. Two, Pharaoh himself became stubborn. And three, Pharaoh remained stubborn despite clear warnings. Pharaoh was not a well-meaning, misguided individual who was not allowed to repent. Although God was ultimately in control of Pharaoh, Pharaoh himself was accountable for his actions. This interplay between human choice and divine sovereignty is found in other places in Scripture. The Israelites hardened their hearts and refused to believe God in the wilderness. God hardened the hearts of the Canaanites so that they did not seek to make peace with the Hebrews. The message God gave to Isaiah hardened the hearts of his hearers. Similarly, in the New Testament, Many people harden their hearts in response to the message of the gospel. People are responsible for their choices, but no one makes choices in a vacuum. Rather, they make them in the context of how God has made his world and providentially directs it. The emphasis in Exodus on God's control of Pharaoh puts a conflict between two belief systems in stark contrast. Pharaoh believed that he was sovereign and divine, able to do whatever he pleased. God demonstrated that this was not the case. Pharaoh was dependent, as much a prisoner of his choices as any other creature on the planet. There is only one absolutely independent I am, and that is Yahweh, the Lord. Now, in an effort to bring our study of Exodus 9 to a close, I'm going to share multiple study notes from the New Living Translation's Illustrated Study Bible to clarify a few points. 9. Verses 1-7 through The fifth plague was against the livestock. As with the withholding of flies from the area of the Hebrews lived, the distinction between the livestock of the Israelites and that of the Egyptians shows that a natural explanation of this event is insufficient, even if the previous plagues contributed. The Egyptians, like many in the ancient Near East, worshipped the ram, the goat, and the bull, as representing power and fertility. These animals had no power before the Lord, in whom true power resides. 9 verses 5 and 6 Prediction again played an important role. These events were being directed by the One who is sovereign over all that happens. 9, verses 8-12 The sixth plague brought festering boils on humans and animals. At this point, the magicians, far from being able to duplicate the sign, were unable to spare themselves from it. Their defeat was complete. 9, verse 12 Plagues 5 and 6 apparently dissipated on their own since there was no plea by Pharaoh to bring them to an end. 9, verses 13-33 The seventh plague was a hailstorm. It rains in Egypt only a few days each year, and hail and thunderstorms are largely unknown, so this storm would have been terrifying. That may be why there is more theological reflection associated with it. The devastating effect of the plague was to destroy the flax and barley crops. 9, verses 14-17 through God explained the purpose of the plagues to Pharaoh. They were vilatory, designed to demonstrate, especially to Pharaoh, that there is no one like me in all the earth. God had not destroyed Pharaoh and Egypt in a single blow, as he could have done. Rather, he had spared them, giving them an opportunity to submit to his power. But Pharaoh refused to humble himself and stop lording it over the Lord's people. And there we are, seemingly back to where we started in the episode, God's majesty on display and Pharaoh's heart remaining hardened. Even after all these miraculous displays of God's power and might, That seems like an appropriate stopping point, as we will once again pick up in Exodus chapter 10 in the next episode with, you guessed it, more of Pharaoh's hardened heart, and even more incredible examples of God's power over all creation, and over those Egyptian gods. With those Egyptian gods in mind, let me share just one more study resource I found to help us understand the cultural weight of what is happening in the minds of the people as God was bringing one plague after another. In How Do I Get Through This, a bonus chart, titled The Plagues, reads, when the Lord brought the ten plagues on Pharaoh and the Egyptians, he demonstrated his power over nature, disease, and death. He also specifically showed his sovereignty over the false gods of the Egyptians. In Exodus 12.12, 12, God said, For I will pass to the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. In the chart below, you can see the connections between each of the plagues and one or more of the revered Egyptian gods. Plague number one, Nile turned to blood. The Egyptians worshipped the river gods Osiris, Nu, and Hapi. Hapi was considered the giver of life. Two, frogs. The goddess of childbirth, Heket, was often portrayed with the head of a frog. The Egyptians believed she controlled the frog population and assisted women in childbirth. Number three, gnats. The Egyptians believed that Pharaoh had the divine ability to maintain order in creation, which they referred to as Mat. When gnats covered all people and animals, this power of pharaohs was proved worthless. 4. Flies There are a few possibilities for the target of this plague. Beelzebub, who protected them against swarms of insects and natural disasters. Keper, the god of resurrection, who was often depicted as a beetle. Or Uichit, who was believed to manifest himself as an egg-laying fly. 5. Death of Egyptian Livestock Many of the Egyptian gods were portrayed as cattle or bulls. These included Isis, the queen of the gods, and Hathor, the goddess who protected Pharaoh. Some Egyptians worshipped bulls and viewed them as a symbol of fertility. 6. Boils. The Egyptians looked to many gods and goddesses for protection from disease and for physical healing, including Amon, Thoth, Amahot, and Sechemeth. 7. Hail. Many Egyptian gods and goddesses were connected with the weather and sky. Seth came in the wind and storms. Shu held up the atmosphere. And Nut was a sky goddess. 8. Locusts destroy the crops. Egyptians also trusted their gods and goddesses to supply them with food. Min was the god of crops, while Anubis guarded the fields in Senhum, gave protection from pests. 9. Darkness. The Egyptians worshipped the sun and viewed the sun god, Amnon-Re, to be their creator and most powerful of all their gods. 10. Death of Egyptian firstborn. The Egyptians believed death was ruled by Osiris, the god of the dead, and his assistant, Anubis, god of the underworld. Also, Pharaoh was considered a son of the sun god, Amnon re Therefore, the death of his son, the successor of his godlike throne, is significant. Basically, the story of the plagues puts God's power on display. As we close this week of study, pause to give these great acts of God their due wonder. Let this account of God's complete control over his creation lead you to exalt him to his proper place, as almighty and all-powerful, and to worship him as Yahweh. With all that said, I would love to close out our time today by praying for you, by praying for us. Dear God, as we consider the extent of your glory, beauty, and power revealed to us each day through your creation, we are ashamed at how often we overlook it. We bow our heads and lift our hands to you today, Almighty God. The next time we worry about how we will get through, draw our heart to this display of your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, friends, we made it to the end of today's episode in our study of the book of Exodus. I am incredibly grateful, humbled, and truthfully, absolutely thrilled that you're still here with me as we study through the pages of God's word together, that you made it to the end of another episode with me. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode today. If you like this one, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. I hope you also consider leaving a review and sharing it with a friend or two. The more the merrier, I always say. (laughs) This is M. Faring, and I can't wait until we open our Bibles together next time, my friends.